This week's episode is sponsored by Spaces. Spaces is a new platform backed by 15 plus years of educator feedback designed to document the process and progress behind student learning in your classroom. Join the Spaces community to connect with educators across North America and gain access to free teacher-created resources, help educators who are just starting out on their journey, and learn new things from teachers who have been there before. So visit community.spacesedu.com today. Uh, is this the teacher hotline? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Teacher Hotline. My name is Ronald Hay, where we try to answer some of the most pressing questions for teachers in and outside of the classroom. Today, we have Tiffany from the Peel District School Board. Tiffany, how can we help you today? Hi, Ron. I've been supplying and doing LTOs for the past few years, and this year, I got my first permanent position in the board. I'm really excited, but I've been warned that the first year of teaching is the hardest. I'm looking to hear from some experienced teachers on what are some of the challenges I should be expecting and how can I best prepare myself for the school year? Thanks. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for your phone call. Oh yes, the first year is definitely the hardest. I don't think anyone could ever sugarcoat that. With that being said, it's also one of the most memorable year and when you get through to the other side, is definitely one of the most proudest moments that you will have in your career. So today I bring in Kelly Pomis. Director of Teacher Coaching and Development at Atlas Prep in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Kelly has been a teacher since 2002. She has taught at all levels from K through 12. And as an expert teacher in development and leadership, she has shared her experience on the TEDx stage. And she's also the host of her own podcast, which we all should check out, called Teacher Renewed on all streaming platforms. Kelly also recently launched her new book called Taught a memoir and educator's guide to classroom transformation and student liberation. Kelly, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, we're about to start the school year, and I know that being a first-year teacher is one of the most challenging things in the world. And I know you're not a first-year teacher. You got plenty of experience uh, in your tool belt, which is why we're coming to you today. So, <laughs> I know that's one of the things that you talk about in your book and you mentioned in your podcast. So that's why I, I want to come to you. So maybe you can refresh us with, do you remember what it was like when you were a first year teacher and walk us through what that experience was like? Yeah, I can definitely walk you through that. And it is in the book. There's, I think the first chapter is recounts the first couple of days and how it was probably two of the hardest weeks of my life. And, um, and then it got worse before it got better, <laughs> but no, I, I remember it all too well because I kept a journal mm -hmm. and I would encourage anyone who is encountering their first year of teaching to keep a journal, to remind yourself to your point, Ron, that at the other end and the other side of that is some of the proudest moments that you will ever have in your life. And so by being able to keep that journal too, I was able to write this book, but it was awful. And I remember actually not even remember, I can 
in my journal, there's a quote in there that says, I'm losing myself. And I don't know that I like the person I'm turning into. And I realized in retrospect and now that it's not that I was losing myself, but I was evolving into a different version of myself now that I am responsible for the livelihood of other other people's children. And I don't think I recognize it as a first-year teacher. So yeah, I, I can recount that. And I will also say I was a, what we call a self-contained teacher um, with middle school students with severe emotional and behavioral disabilities. So that's what I was thrown into. And it was hard. It was hard. And I will also say that my third year, I started at a new school and thought I was reliving my first year of teaching. So, <laughs> you know, there's moments when you're like, oh, I got this. And then, you know, you change and things happen. And then suddenly you're like, everything I've learned, I've seemed to have forgotten because the context suddenly became different. So, but it was hard. That was, that's all I can say about it. How did you feel leading up to the first day of, of school? Were you nervous, excited? Like how did, so before you even stepped into the classroom, cause I know that's a big part of it as being a first year teacher of getting your first class to begin with. What mm-hmm. were those feelings like? I love that you ask that also in the book. Like I remember driving across the country. So from the United States, from Colorado, and my first teaching job was in North Carolina. So driving across the country and just being full of hope and being, I don't know, maybe even full of relative arrogance of like, I've got this, I'm going to transform the lives of these children. and I'm going to be the teacher that they've never had. And I was humbled very quickly, but the feeling that I had was pure excitement. Like I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Unfortunately, the college I chose did not have a teaching program, but fortunately we had alternative ways to become teachers. So found that pathway. And yeah, I just was overjoyed by the fact that I had this opportunity and came in really confident that I was going to change the lives of my students. That's so funny that you said that. I, I wonder if if it's just me and you or if other teachers feel the same way too. I remember having that same excitement <laughs> and kind of borderline a little bit of like arrogance on my part. I'm like, oh, you know what? I got this. I'm going to change everyone's life. I'm going to make sure that like, you know, everyone's going to remember me. And then I remember my first class, I actually wasn't a high school class. It was a, a university classroom. And the thing about university classrooms is that by the end, um, they have like those teacher evaluation forms where you fill out on a score and there's comments. And honestly, I co-taught that mm-hmm. class with another colleague of mine because we were both training to teach. It was a summer course. So that's where they put all the new teachers in the summer courses. And uh, I remember my colleagues' <laughs> teaching evaluations came back way better than mine. And I was like... Oh, wow. Like I went to school for this and this guy's just doing this for fun. And I'm like, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And it was like this big reality hit. So (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that because you're right. I think as new teachers, you always come in with this excitement of like, oh, I got a million ideas and it doesn't always pan out that way. It didn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) I think for a lot of teachers. So (laughs) yeah. Talk about the... um, Talk about some of the prep that you were doing leading up to either the first week um, or even that first month of school. Like I, I know that's one of the big talking points for new teachers is is preparation. Uh, how much prep did you put in during that first class? And 
this question could be answered in two ways. It could be answered in what I did and now what I coach teachers to do, which are two very different mm. things. So mm. which one do you want me to, to answer? The way, the way I did it and which was- The way you did it. Okay. Yes, absolutely. The way you did it. I thought first and foremost that my classroom had to be the number one thing. This is a space for my students. Therefore, most of my prep was spent trying to make my classroom whatever. And quickly learned that that was not the the need nor needed it to be the priority. Um, Because within the first day, we were put into a different classroom. By the end of the week, we were put into what we call a modular trailer. So my classroom was moved three times in the first week of, or two times in the first week of my teaching career. So lesson learned, yes, spend a little bit of time with it, but like the amount of time that I was spending on it to make it, well, there was no Pinterest at the time of me starting teaching, but in that sense, it would have been I would have been trying to make it a Pinterest worthy classroom because that was my idea. Right. right? I think the other thing that I did not spend time on or that I did was, I mean, I got my textbooks, right. We didn't have curriculum. I had a textbook. Um, What I didn't do was I planned some lessons from the textbook, you know, but that was it. I didn't backwards plan from like what my students absolutely needed to learn. You know, by the end of the year, what should they be performing on and being able to do versus here's chapter one of the textbook. Um, And so not knowing how to break down what we call standards or things like that, like I didn't spend any of the time. I was just like, oh, I'm going to make some copies of this textbook. We didn't even have enough copies for students and a a couple packets. Um, In retrospect, I would have made, you know an assessment and a long-term plan toward that assessment. Um, Actually, I would have made a diagnostic and I didn't do that. So in like really understanding like where are my students coming in at? Um, But so yeah, I'm trying to give you the, what I did and what I would have done now, but that was where I was spending my time in preparation. I also would have spent a lot more time. I dug into content day one and without knowing where my boys they were all boys who were performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore I'm sitting here trying to teach them seventh and eighth grade math when they were not ready for that. And so um, also because they had emotional and behavioral classifications or disabilities, they also needed something a lot more in terms of culture. And I wasn't spending my time. It was just like, oh, here are a couple lesson plans working from a textbook. And so had I done it differently, I would have spent a lot more time knowing the diagnostic, getting a diagnostic ready, building out a lot more culture lessons to really ensure that my students had an environment where they trusted me. Like for them, I was a white lady from Colorado, to be quite frank. That's what they called me. That's what I was. Um, And... I did not let them get to know me, nor was I trying to get to know them. I was like, you've got work to do. You've got um, curriculum to learn. And that was not what they needed. And very few students need that those first couple of days, if not the first couple of weeks. They need to feel comfortable in your space. They need to know who you are as a teacher. And so what I did in terms of spending time in my classroom, making copies out of a textbook was not how I needed to spend my time. 
Yeah, you know what? You know, even veteran teachers now, I hear teachers. It almost surprises me where like teachers, even at my school, I'll be like, "Hey, what are you guys doing your first day of class?" Like, "Oh yeah, we're just diving into content." Like content, like they it's the first day of school. Like, let's be a little bit more chill than that, don't we? Don't you think? Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of teachers do the same thing too. And I, I, I learned this from actually from one of my my colleagues who trained me to be a teacher, not at the high school level, but the university level. Um, but just talking about they, the students really need to know that you care about mm-hmm. them, and then you get that buy-in. And one trick of that one, uh, I still remember this. Um, I got to do a better job at doing this. But he told me a trick to showing that you care about who they are as a person rather than the curriculum is you get the class list before they even step into the classroom. Mm. He's like, I make sure that I know everyone's names before they even step in. So when they walk through the door, say, hey, how's it going, Kelly? Nice to see you. Welcome to the class. And they're like, whoa, what? How do you even know my name? And instantly they know that you've done your homework as a teacher and you take your job and profession really seriously. And I've been trying to do that. Ever since when I first started that job, I thought that was the best piece of advice. So important. And pronouncing names correctly too, right? It's it's 100%. so important. And yeah, I just didn't do that, you know? And I think yeah. when we think about what we are needing to prioritize and how we need to be spending our time, I encourage all first-year teachers to think about what is the culture? Like, what do you want your classroom to look like, sound like, and feel like? Yeah. And yeah. Get that in writing and then make lesson plans. I have a great resource guide on um, my my website. It's like the first 15 days of classroom and it's a classroom culture guide and it's building a vision and building lessons around that vision to really work to instill whatever it is you want to be true. And for me, what I want to be true is that my students feel safe, that they know that they're going to learn in this space and that they can have fun. You know, like I want that. Those are three things like you're going to learn and you're going to feel, or you're, if you feel safe, you're going to learn. And if you know that you're learning, we're going to have fun and celebrate that. Right. And so that's how I build my classrooms. Now that's how I coach teachers to build their classrooms from this sense, this place of like, what do you really want to be true for these students? What do you want to be true for this classroom space and build your first couple of days, first couple of weeks around that truth first and then the content. You talked about content. What about uh, your first year in regards to like classroom management? Ugh. Did you find that to be challenging based on your reaction? I'm assuming yes. <laughs> uh, but maybe talk to new teachers out there what some of your challenges were in the classroom management uh, department. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, one was I just didn't have boundaries, I you know, and or expectations. I kind of thought because I don't know, I was going to be the cool, chill teacher that they were just going to automatically like me. And so I wasn't actually truly managing. And for anything that I didn't have a system for, things felt chaotic. And my students knew that Miss Adams, that was my maiden name, was a pushover. So they could get away with a lot of things. And again, that's where I started losing that sense of myself. And realizing that, like, I actually had to put boundaries on things. I had to set expectations uh, because the students needed that. Otherwise, I was the one who was cultivating an unsafe space. But they they saw me as, 
the pushover I was. They saw me as a person with low expectations, which was a whole other aspect of this of like, she doesn't think that we're going to learn. She doesn't think that we can behave. So we're just going to show her that we can't. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was huge in terms of me getting run over because my expectations, especially in those first two weeks, as I watched my students act a certain way, yes, partially because like they had that classification, but more so because I was not tending to their special need, their classification, and actually building a classroom that was going to have high expectations of them and support them in those structures. Kids know. They know at a very young age who the pushovers are and who the ones to to watch out for. I remember even when I was in middle school, <laughs> like I, I think that's why the the supply teachers are always the ones that get the hardest jobs is because like, oh, supply teachers in, like we kind of push them around. We could do whatever we want. And then, you know, when the real teacher comes in, you know, you got to kind of straighten up a little bit, but kids know even all the way up until grade 12, they, they know which teachers you can push around. And, you know, I saw another podcast. I didn't listen to it. I follow another teacher and I wish I remember who it was, but he literally just published a, a, an episode. I saw my Instagram feed called teachers. Uh, when students know who, uh, what's it called now? But it was all about being a popular teacher versus mm-hmm. being the respected teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's such a fine balance, right? Yeah. Especially as a new teacher, how do you learning to find that balance? I think is challenging. Yeah. But again, I think part of that is understanding. I actually have five mindsets if you wanted me to get into those of like now knowing what I know now, but oh, please, yeah, um, there, there's five foundational mindsets that I think every new teacher needs to really support that trajectory. And I, I mean, mind you, I turned it around at semester one because I showed back up. My my kiddos thought that I was not coming back because they thought I was going to be another teacher. They ran out. Right. I came back. And again, another resource of how to reset your classroom culture. If you don't set it up the right way, these are lessons learned over the course of 20 years, but the five fundamental mindsets that I would encourage all first year teachers to embrace. Like one is, to at your core come in with a mindset of growth and humility. I think had I been more humble and thought about my trajectory of learning versus me being so arrogant of all the ideas that I had and all the change that I was going to make, but had I had more of a, a humble mindset of one that is like, I can grow in this. And luckily it shifted when I was getting it handed to me, but would I have had it handed to me had I been more humble and not had my students humble me, if that makes sense. The second one, and I I already touched on this, but remember, you're not losing yourself. You are becoming a better version of yourself because this, this job makes you evolve. And so just remembering that as you are trying to figure out your teacher self, which is a true, genuine part of who you are, doesn't mean that you are losing who you are. It just means you're evolving. Number three, and kind of alluded to this and or spoke very directly to it, but like, you have to believe in your students. Like, even if they're not showing what you want them to show in terms of the curriculum or content, they're good at something. And when you can tap into the amazingness of each child, individual, student, young person, 
suddenly their world is open to what you have to offer. But you have to have those high expectations of your students. Number four is believe in yourself. I've seen time and time again, teachers leave this profession far too early when they don't need to because they have started doubting themselves because their students are like, let me see how far I can take this person. And then number five, and this is kind of abstract, but teaching is all about you, but not at all about you. Like you can't deep. take this personally. So when you are teaching a middle schooler and they're doing all their middle schooler moves, like Ron did when he went, no, I'm joking, but not really. No, I did. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you can't take it personally because one, they're, they're children who are like today, somebody said, do you know, Miss KP, that's my name, that you remind me of that character from Chicken Little. And so I Googled it. I'm like, this character. And yeah, it's the one with like the little pigtails and I, you know, the cross-eyed. I don't, I was like, I don't know how, <laughs> but okay. But it's, it's called Q-tip. Quit taking it personal. Like yes. this is not about you in the sense of them trying to make you feel bad. It is, it is about you evolving and being in this journey. And at the same time, it is not at all about you. And so if you can live in the dichotomy of what that means and also not take it personally, like those five things are going to set you on a different course. And they all happen within our hearts and our heads. Mm, those are good points. I think that's why I, I can't ever teach middle school. <laughs> I feel like everything that you told me right there, like I would lose my job very quickly. <laughs> like, like if a kid came up to me and showed me a picture of chicken, I was like, hey, sir, you look like this cross-eyed chicken. I'm like, I'll show you cross-eyed. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I did? cross-eyed in just a moment. You know what I did? I pulled up. I've also gotten the, um, I've gotten the villain from the Lorax. So today I'm like, oh, I actually thought I looked more like this one. And they're like, oh, miss, you know? And I've also gotten Edna something from The Incredibles. So, um, yeah, they're, they just speak their minds, but yeah, some, some people would probably be ready to lose their jobs. I've just been doing this long enough to know Q-tip quit taking it personal. I was covering a grade seven class <laughs> once for a colleague and, uh, the, the kids were doing the classic thing that I would do with all my other friends in middle school, which was the uh, give fake names to the supply oh, yeah. teacher. And I was like, Oh my God, I know this trick. This is my <laughs> trick. And you're using it on me. I hate it. <laughs> and it's just driving me crazy. Even though you know what's going on, you know they're kids, you know they're being little brats, but like it bothered me so much. I'm like, ah, I hate all you guys. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I told my colleagues, I'm never covering a grade seven class ever no. again. Um, so my, my next question then becomes, um, did you have any mentors when you were younger to kind of help you through all this stuff? Or was it all trial by fire? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a mentor at my school. So, and that was great. And we're still friends to this day. And she was wonderful, especially as I needed the emotional support. Right. Um, I, I can't really, I don't really remember us talking anything about the content because my brain was so wrapped up in the, the personal and the fact that behaviorally my students were off the chain to the point that like, they were like, okay, we're moving your classroom outside the building. So you can be less of a distraction. That's, that's how bad it was Ron. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I had a mentor who supported me in that sense. And then, um, I had two other mentors through an organization that I found teaching, which I was fortunate for, but 
more than anything beyond those mentors, I, because I was part of a program and this is actually how I met my husband, but there were a group of about 10 or 12 of us, um, out of a, what we called a core of 75 who we would go to parties and the acronym was ABT, anything but teaching. You're allowed to talk about anything but teaching. And we would sneak mm. out into the, the tobacco fields or whatever and talk mm. about teaching. And <laughs> like that growth and humility piece was so huge. And I surrounded myself with people who weren't taking it personally, who were getting up every day and going at it again, rolling up our sleeves. And we were talking about our struggles but also offering each other advice of, have you tried? Have you tried it? So it was less about the formal mentors I had and more about surrounding myself with other people who were going through the same throws that I was going through and who were not going to give up on this collective group as well as our students. And they were the reasons why I came back that second semester. My family was in support of me leaving. They're like, we don't like who you're becoming. We don't even know who this person is. And um, I was so eager to get back to this group of people, including my now husband, who we weren't even dating, but we just had so much tenacity to do better by our students, to do better by education. And all of us are still in education. And we were just in a two-year program that said, you just need to teach for two years. And here we all are leading schools, leading policy, leading um, classrooms still. And so it was less about the mentors for me. It was so much more about the colleagues who would reground me, would re-inspire me and be like, we can do this. Because if we can't, who can, you know, like we can do this. That's great. I, I think it's so important, whether you have formal mentors, informal, or just colleagues that are, that can support you. I think it's so important in that first year because it's, as, as you know, like it, it's tough to, it's a grind. It's a long marathon and you need people to kind of bring you up in those 10 months at some point. Cause you run out of gas. Um, I, I was very lucky. My school had a formal mentorship program and yeah, I remember them asking me like, Hey, do you want a mentor? And I don't know why maybe it was the arrogance or I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone, but I was like, no, I'm okay. And then they gave me the mentor anyways. They, they sent me an email like, Oh, your mentor is gonna be Rob McGinnis. I'm like, I didn't sign up for this, <laughs> but it turned out to be the best thing in the world that happened to me. And, uh, he's a physics teacher. But to your point, like it, they don't even have to teach the same subject they use. It's not about the content, but it's just someone that you can be a sounding board off of. And sound like you had a lot of that. And, um, you know, I think we're both very fortunate to have those people surround us in those first couple of years, right? So, so true. So my, my other question then for you is, uh, I got two questions. Um, did, when did you feel, or did you feel any burn? I, well, I know that's a silly question. I know you did feel burned out in your first year. But at what point did you start feeling like, oh, I'm running out of gas here. Like, I got to find a way to refill. In my first yeah, year? Yeah, your first year. Oh, it was week two. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I, I go through it in depth in my, in my, my book, Todd. But in the journal, it is so clear because like week two, at the end of week two, I'm like, I don't think I can do this. Wow week two. It's that quick. And again, I think part of it was my, my lack of, of humility and just having it handed to me day after day, after day, after day. And 
starting to lower my expectations day after day after day after day. Um, and luckily, Ron, within the, the first two weeks, we had what we called an all-core Saturday where I came back with all those people, all 75 of them, and later on to the party, anything but teaching, and realized, like, I am not alone in this. I can do this because other people are doing it. And and so long as they're doing it, I can keep you going too. But it, it was week two where I, I called my, again, in my journal, called my, my dad and was like, dad, I don't think I can do this. This is terrible. My kids are terrible. Like that's how I was talking about them. Their families don't care. You know, just like lowering the expectation and bar of myself and everyone surrounding me. And then I got into that meeting space and was surrounded with my my informal mentors, you know, which ultimately became my informal mentors, but peers and just was like, we're all going through this. And if they can do it, I can do it. And I went back week after week after week, year after year after year. Um, was there anything you're doing outside of school to like recharge, whether it's I don't know, just you, know, you have a hobby or maybe it was a person or maybe it was just vodka sodas. I don't know. Like, <laughs> how did you find a way to, I guess, I, I definitely became a wino. I'd never had a glass of wine day after day after day. And um, my roommates and I definitely found wine um, as a source of inspiration. I will also say this is going to sound ridiculous. And I think you know, we talked about this uh, at another time, but compensation in the States is is minimal and it or abysmal. And I actually found a job as aerobics Pilates slash yoga instructor. So I was starting to get paid to work out. That's awesome. Which was awesome. And then I found a job at a tutoring center, which then actually helped me um, learn how to teach. Because again, I wasn't certified to be a teacher I was part of a program that allowed me to be a teacher. And so suddenly I'm like tutoring these kids with all these resources and being like, oh, I can use this with my class tomorrow. This is amazing. And so those were two things I wouldn't recommend having two different jobs, but like I was getting paid to work out and I was getting paid to learn how to teach. And so that worked out really well for me. But every other weekend I was in a different city or town in North Carolina, discovering it alongside those peers. And the friendships were really what drove me to my happiness, aside from being able to be like getting paid to do yoga, Pilates, aerobics, you know, but, and then yeah, wine, I had to really lay on the aerobics because the wine became. Oh yeah. That's, that's still (laughs) a thing for me as well. Every day I'm like, all right guys, uh, it's four o'clock or should I say wine (laughs) o'clock? Whatever it is. Whatever it is, is, right? Um, I want to circle back to one other thing. Uh, I'm looking at the time. I want to make sure we get to this question because I think it's important. Uh, Did students know it was your first year as a teacher? They they did. Um, I want to say that I probably told them, but I didn't need to. Mm. It was so clear, you know? (laughs) It was so Um, clear. And actually, I don't think I told them. I think I had an assistant, an aide in there, and there was a day that um, something happened, and I had to leave the classroom, and she was trying to lay on the guilt. Guys, give her a break. She's a first-year teacher. So... But they were like, yeah, duh. We know she's a first-year teacher. That's so clear. So... Um, I, I can't remember me telling them, but I do remember that instance where I was like, Oh, 
Oh no, they know. They no, they know. Knew. I'm busted. Uh, yeah. I, the reason why I asked that, because I think it's such an interesting, I don't know if you call it a philosophical question, but I, I think uh, I remember talking about this with the people that were training me and my trainee, again, who was a, this is a university setting, but I think it applies in a high school or elementary school setting as well is, you know, should you tell the kids that this is your first year? And we went back and forth and back and forth. And I remember my trainee was saying like, absolutely not. Do not yeah. tell them it is your first year. In fact, you want them to think this is your 10th year. And I remember specifically mm-hmm. at the university I was at, and even the high school I'm at right now, the dress code has always been suit and tie. And I know mm-hmm. there are some teachers like, whoa, suit and tie. I'm not doing suit and tie. I don't get paid enough to do that. You know, you kind of come in jeans, t-shirts, whatever you want to wear. But I think, you know, what you wear is kind of what, I don't know, the image that you kind of give off. And the whole purpose was, I know, like, I know this is not a video podcast, but you could see like, I have a very youthful face. I'm 34, but I look like mm-hmm. I'm 18. And they're like, you can't look like you're 18 years old teaching them. You have to wear a suit and tie. Now you need to Especially look- Especially if you're teaching 18 year olds. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of about commanding respect in the classroom. And uh, I'm like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. And I don't know, that was kind of advice I passed on to my student teacher afterwards uh, when I had him this year. Uh, yeah, I actually love that. And I- I would say that they don't need to know. Yeah. They being your students don't need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's completely fine for you to go in there. And that's, you know, I have actually like four foundational skills. So I've gone through the five foundational mindsets, but four foundational skills. And one of those is confidence and presence. Yeah. And if you can exude those two things, yeah. they're not going to know. No. I didn't have those things. Right. I had arrogance, but I did not have confidence and yes. presence. Yes. So. Uh, Kelly, I'm looking at the time. We should probably wrap things up over here. Uh, so maybe a couple of things, uh, wrap up questions. Uh, if you could do your first year all over again, what would you do differently? Oh my gosh. Yep. Well, I'll speak to those four things, right? I will, would have come in and prioritize like the, the idea that I am confident that I'm not going to exude first year teacher deer in headlights and have a strong presence. I would have had much clearer boundaries and expectations, like knowing that, no, this is what you do in my classroom. And when we try to over, um, you know, cross the line of the boundary, this is what's going to be expected. Cause I did not do that. I would have built much, much deeper relationships with my students and knew who they were, what they needed specifically from the diagnostic standpoint and also the culture building. And I would have been a much more humble person. Um, so most of those live in the space of the inside of who I am on the external piece. Like I said, I would have spent a lot more time building those relationships with families and students, as well as building in culture. But also, I think the lesson planning part of it would have been what we call backwards planning. I'm not sure what it's it's called um, out there, but I would have been a lot more thoughtful about the content I was putting in front of my students. Yeah. Mm. Kelly, where can listeners find you online, on social media? Where can they find your podcast? Where they can find, the, find your book? Uh, give us all the deets. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So you can find me on Instagram at teacher underscore renewed and also the website, www.teacherrenewed.com. I am also um, available via a community on Facebook, which is also called teacher renewed. And then the book taught 
a memoir and educator's guide to student or classroom transformation and student liberation can be found anywhere you buy books. Um, Amazon is a great place. Barnes and Noble. There are a couple of places I know out in Canada because the sales say that people have bought it in Canada. So, but anywhere online, you can pretty much find it. So thank you. Awesome. Well, and uh, podcast is uh, all over on Spotify, Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Spotify, Google, Apple are the best ways to find it. And also call teacher renewed. Perfect. Folks, go check it out. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for uh, hopping on to the teacher hotline today. Really appreciate uh, you sharing us some of your insights of what it's like being a first-year teacher. Oh my gosh. And I just wish all of the first-year teachers the best of luck. And you've got this. Believe in yourself, believe in your students, and you're going to move mountains. (laughs) Well, Kelly, good luck to you uh, with this upcoming school year, uh, with everyone, with training all the teachers. And uh, again, thank you so much for, for your time today. Thank you, Ron. And thank you to all our listeners. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Teacher Hotline. Of course, don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, all streaming platforms. Don't forget to leave us a review, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you guys in a few weeks. Take care, everyone. Woo-hoo!